0: On episode 45 of DevTalk, I speak to Stacy Cashmore about improving your team through pair programming. Welcome to another episode of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's guest is Stacy Cashmore. Stacy is a tech explorer DevOps, and I'm really happy to have her on the show. Hello, Stacy.
1: Hi there. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, you were awarded a Microsoft MVP title this week. How did that come to be? <laughs>
1: That is still really surreal to me. It's uh, I'm really floating from that. It's I started talking just a couple of years ago. I uh, gave my first talk in Sweden, and things kind of just snowballed from there.
0: Okay, so how many years back?
1: Uh, my first talk what was that February two thousand and nineteen. So it's uh, a year and a half.
0: Okay not not that that far back well congratulations and uh, this you. is not the reason why i invited you we we <laughs> scheduled this ahead of time and i was just surprised to see see the news uh, on tuesday i believe yeah so congratulations september 1st that was uh, for for those uh, listening in the future
1: yeah a really important day in my life now
0: and what is it you work on in your day job
1: Uh, Well, I'm Tech Explorer DevOps at OmniPlan in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam. Uh, We Mm -hmm. write uh, financial planning software. And as Tech Explorer DevOps, I spend my time both writing code, we're currently rewriting uh, a good portion of our application, and helping the teams find better ways of working working with each other, better ways of producing code and getting it through to production, and mm-hmm. also working with the company as a whole so that we can try and do a, a whole company DevOps mindset change and implement continuous improvement across the
0: board. OK, is your job like split up between uh, these are the backlog items you have to do and the, the code you have to write? And on the other hand, we you still have this amount of time to work on other topics?
1: It is split up like that, but there's not a tight split between it. It's not that in the mornings I'm doing one thing and in the afternoon I'm doing another. Uh, okay. It's kind of just picking up what needs to be done at the time. So uh, I try and do as much coding as possible. It's still mm-hmm. where my heart lies. But I also yeah, try and spend uh, time with... We've just expanded to new teams, so it's trying to help the teams yeah, work in the best way possible. themselves and try and find the best way for them to work because all teams are different all people are different so it's not a case of just saying you must work like this it's really finding out how the teams can discover their own way of working which gives them the most benefit
0: Mm -hmm. and this is just from your own experience uh, through the years and working working with teams, or is that this something you're working together with other people, or you've you've learned somewhere else?
1: This is from my experience in my last job as much as anything else. It's I've always loved the agile way of working, and mm-hmm. uh, I've seen it on Twitter as the lowercase a agile way of working. It's not that I think you must do a specific thing, but you need to keep the flexibility in how you work and you need to have that self-reflection to see where you can improve. And it's trying to help the teams see that and see their own improvements uh, for themselves. So it's, we use Scrum and sorry, I do like working with Scrum,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's not so much about drumming Scrum into the teams. It's about using the chances that you get during a sprint at the end of the sprint to make that self-reflection and see how we can change the way that we work to improve our own lives.
0: Okay. And you do that through retrospectives?
1: We do that um, partly through retrospectives uh, and also partly by asking difficult questions. Mm -hmm. So we did have an issue with a lot of open stories at one point. And... They were never closed from sprint to sprint. I think it was three sprints and nothing was closed, but we had so many things in progress. And okay. rather than telling the teams, you know, you must work like this to get things closed, we simply just put one thing on the backlog and said, right, we have a whole team, we have one item, how are you going to close this as a team? And try mm-hmm. to build it up from there within the team uh, giving a few nudges where I think nudges were needed, but making sure that I wasn't just telling the teams what to do. It's I think one of the constant things that I tell the teams is don't do anything because I tell you you should do it. It's a terrible reason to do something.
0: Okay, yeah, that's always a good idea to, to let the team find the right way.
1: Yeah, and if that involves failing, then that involves failing. You can learn a lot
0: from that. Mm-hmm about a year ago you wrote an article how to get the most from pairing and i was intrigued by this article i use pair programming in my day job uh not that often i'm i'm a fan of pair programming but somehow it's not that common we do use it when we have like some some critical Phases of the project, some some mission critical code, when we might sit together for maybe up to two weeks at a time, but it's it's not that common. Is is this something that you do at your job all of the time, most of the time, sometimes?
1: Uh, most of the time, certainly with the two team or the three teams now that I'm working with,
0: uh, a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. Almost everything is done as pair programming. Okay, um, cool. And that's something that a lot of that actually, for for my current company, I've only worked by, at OmniPlan for about six months now, six, seven months.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I started, there was a lot of individual work going on. But one of the things that came out of saying to the team, how are you going to get this finished? And how as a team are you going to ensure that this moves to done? The teams actually experimented themselves with pair programming. So we got a developer working with a tester, Because we had an Mm -hmm. awful lot of stuff which was developed, but it wasn't done because it wasn't tested. And Mm -hmm. rather than throwing it over the wall at the tester and saying, you need to do this for us, they worked together behind one machine and they started to build that up. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the team saw what was happening and slowly but surely they all adopted it. And I say that wasn't anything that I told them to do. I've given them some tips and I pointed them to this article. But, I let them kind of explore this themselves and see how they wanted to do it.
0: I guess you have to have the work environment where that is accepted. There are companies where uh seeing two people in front of a screen is seen as a wasted time
1: absolutely that's That's the thing that you hear most when you talk about pair programming and it's not only from companies, I hear it from a lot of developers as well mm-hmm. People seem to have this idea that software development is putting code into a computer. Mm-hmm. And software development is so much more than just putting code into a computer. It is coming together and solving a problem for somebody. That's that's what our job is. Somebody needs to do something and we need to help them do that. And there's a lot of thinking that goes on and when you're working as a pair the benefit that you get is that thinking. You can bounce off of each other as opposed to just hitting a keyboard trying to put code into a computer. Yeah. But it it, it is seen as very, yeah, inefficient. It's uh, people see two developers and one of them's not doing anything because they're just sitting at a table.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was once, uh, I had a project where I was at the customer site and uh, the mentality there was if you're not at your desk actively typing code, then you're not contributing to the success of the project. And th- this applied to everyone on the project. So there, there were like no DevOps people there. Uh, even the, the project manager had to write code. And, uh, it was, it was coming from, from like, usually in our company, it's, uh, the, the number of people actually writing the code on the team. Is less than fifty percent, and th- this was a, a, a quite a change, and uh, it was a, a at that point a desperate desperate time for the company, and and but all they saw was we have all this code to write uh, by this deadline, and uh, a- anything else we do will just distract us from from this goal, and uh, yeah, I, I see, yeah. Some people see two people sitting in front of a screen and then it just looks like they're wasting time or just the code costs twice as much. But that's yeah. not the case.
1: No. It's in my experience, it does cost more when you pair program, but you get so much more for your money. Mm-hmm. When I've done coding at my last company, when we started pairing there, it probably took about one and a half uh times the developer hour to get that piece of code done than if we'd have been working separately. But when it was done, it was so much better. You gain that time back when you have to maintain it. You gain it back with less bugs. And the big one that we saw is the lead time is so much less. It might take more time in total, but the time from start to finish on the clock is actually less.
0: Yeah. I think one one other aspect is that it, if there are two people sitting next to each other, they continuously learn from each other. Yeah. Um. The th- this is uh, especially when I have those like two weeks of of doing pair programming. It's very apparent. Um. That that like you know some trick in this programming lang- language that somebody else doesn't know, or you know some some uh, subtle. Differences in performance when when writing code, and and everybody, it's 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 never the case that one person doesn't learn anything from the other one. No, and no matter how how senior that one person is, uh, there's always room for learning from from everybody on the team.
1: Yeah, and we've noticed that for the back end developers that are working with each other. They learn from each other as well. But we've also got our front-end and back-end engineers working together. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, it was interesting because some of the people were either, no, I'm back-end, I don't want to do front-end, or I'm Mm -hmm. front-end, I have no interest in C Sharp whatsoever. But as the weeks roll on, you actually see people changing the way that they think and they work. And we now have an Angular developer who... Because of vacations and a priority that came up within the company, actually wrote an amount of C sharp code, which six months ago he would have just been sitting there trying to find work to do, as opposed to be able to carry on with what he was doing, with mm-hmm. people checking in on him.
0: And you also mentioned pairing with the testers, right?
1: Yes. It's, uh, and that, that's,
0: that's maybe even uh, farther from from that, that uh, typical developer job. I mean, or it, it's probably a really good idea to, to see that perspective of the tester.
1: It really helps because it's, it's cliche and it's not true, but it's true enough to kind of use the idea that as developers, we build code and we love the code that we write. And when we do tests, we test it to make sure that it works. And then the testers come along with a sledgehammer and they break it. Mm. And working with a tester and seeing the thought processes that go into the type of tests that they want us to write and the coming up with these edge scenarios, which we would never think of. And you can learn from that. And when you're not pairing with the tester, then you can you can still get an amount of those tests written without having to pull him over yeah it's uh, it's been a very enjoyable experience
0: i've learned lots mhm i yeah i bet i i actually have not done extensive pair programming with a tester and i think that's that's a really good idea and and they they tend to people who have been testing for for years uh, they they tend to see your code with a completely different mindset than yes. a typical developer. We we tend to do tend to look at the happy path. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that when I've worked with together with great testers, then I have learned a lot too.
1: Absolutely, and it's we even had our tester writing C sharp too.
0: But that's also ah, yeah.
1: really interesting. Is we we've had our tester in the driving seat, and he's learned about what we do as well.
0: Hmm. so what makes a good pair program experience um, or the things you wrote about in your article some of the things i i have seen in the past and that is for example one person is uh hogging the keyboard uh typing the whole time the other person is, is a bit left out
1: yeah yeah the, uh, the sleepy pairing
0: yeah uh, I, I guess pair programming is uh, nowadays uh, doesn't have to be if you're sitting physically next to each other, right?
1: It doesn't. And that is something that has really shocked me this year. I gave a talk on pair programming in Sweden at the beginning of the year, and I was uh, fortunate enough to be on a guest on .NET Rocks at the same mm-hmm. conference, and we were talking about pairing remotely and it's like yes i've done it but i think pairing remotely you have to have a very good relationship before you start Um, otherwise it can be very difficult to to get into it via a screen okay and a week later in the netherlands we went into lockdown and all of a sudden we're all working from home and the entire development team all decided that they wanted to pair or mob so that they could have the contact with their fellow developers and really keep that team feeling up. And yeah. so I was faced with a situation of a week before saying, I really don't think this can work unless you're really good at doing it in person. And just seeing these people fly, its it was fantastic to be proven wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that... that- actually works really well uh, to have basically you each have your own screen to to be able to have like a second keyboard uh or or a second mouse it it actually also adds value that like like uh, my my colleague would be typing and i would be able to look something up yep uh in the the reference or something like that and i can see I, for example, I could have my my development environment set up the way I'm used to it, and the other person can have it set up the way they want it or they we could even be using different development environments and and doing, doing like the the code live share yeah uh, sharing the code um across different um operating systems for example so um it's it's really i i actually enjoy that you yeah. know.
1: Yeah, we've we've kind of had exactly the same experience as that. It's especially in our mobs where we've got three or four people, then you can we've even started to have breakout sessions. So we'll have up to five people in a mob working on a particular issue. Mm-hmm. And if we get stuck somewhere but it's not a we're not blocked. We can continue, but we know we need to come back and fix this then we've had two people leave and just form a short term pair doing the research and then they'll come back into the mob with this information and we can all go back together and solve that problem with this new knowledge that the mm-hmm. extra pair has gained
0: yeah okay it's
1: it's it is completely unknown territory for the team and for me to work this way that it's it is so fantastic to watch people Learning and figuring out how we can do this. So the live share is something I really want to try. It's uh, we tried it when we first went into lockdown, but the old application, the one that we're replacing, it's got so much code in one place that live share really didn't work for us. It's uh, we we had quite a lot of problems with it. So we're hoping that now we're moving into smaller chunks of code that are nicely separated, mm-hmm. that we can give that a try again because it's. The issue that we do have doing remote pairing is if a person's driving, they end up driving for too long. Because we're doing it via screen sharing, Yeah, it's really hard to then take over the driving from the other person. Take over Mm -hmm. the driving, you've got to make a commit, you've got to sync it with the server. Then you've got to get your environment set up with that code. Then you share your screen, and then you can get going again. And that's just too much of a break in the flow. That's right. Yeah. To really make it work, so it's it, one thing that we do have an issue with with remote pairing is the driver doing a little bit too much navigating, and the driver taking a little bit too much control.
0: Yeah. Well. Okay. That, so that's a, a tooling issue. If yeah, that's if a, that's the tooling, a tooling was issue. right, or if if live share would do what it's uh, what it promises, it would do. Then uh, th- that would be solved, right?
1: Yes, totally. And then you also get into the nice one of what you were saying—you're in your own environment. It's—I uh, have my environment set up completely different to my colleague. So when you're looking yeah. on his machine, it's okay. What extensions do you have installed? Um, yeah. and how dark do you mode. Have- oh. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: that it's- that also adds some. I mean, I mean, it's also good to be able to. I, to adapt to like a, a, at a di- different workplace, and you see everything is set up differently. I think it's probably good for your brain to um, to have that switch. Like uh, suddenly, someone has an American keyboard and not a German one, and it, it keeps your your mind keeps you awake. I imagine it keeps uh, you sharp. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I went off on a bit of bit of a tangent there. Uh, the the driver and the the what, what do you call it? A passenger. The, the driver the, and the navigator. The navigator. Uh, well, the, the good, yeah, that, that's the ideal one, right? The bad case is you have a driver and then you have a passenger. He's, he's just there yeah. and enjoying or not enjoying the ride.
1: Yep. It's, uh, trying to stay awake.
0: You were suggesting to have that person who is not currently at the keyboard or uh, not currently sharing his VM um, or his, his screen to uh, to have a, a much more active role.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the way that I see the driver and the navigator set up and how I've seen the most value out of it is to make sure that the navigator is a person that's got the ideas about how we're going to solve the problem and then explaining those ideas to the driver so that the driver can then put the code into the computer. And they're they're reviewing your thought process as you go, and as a navigator, you're reviewing their code as they go because you're checking that what they're putting in matches with your ideas and the way that you want to solve a problem.
0: Okay, but this sounds like the navigator is more knowledgeable about the task at that point, or has thought more about it?
1: The, the navigator at that point has probably got a, a, a better idea how they want to solve the problem at that time. Okay. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily that they're more knowledgeable, but at that point in time, they are the person that has that spark of excitement with, I know how we're going to do this.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, it's,
1: we, we need to solve it in this way. We need to do whatever. And then they can explain that to the driver. Um, and it doesn't have to stay that way for the whole solution. Um, at some point, the driver can pick up what the navigator is doing and they can either just join in, or at some point they might even go, you know what, I've just had this fantastic idea building on what you've just said. Here's the keyboard, here's what I want you to do. Mm -hmm. And switch roles on the fly, so that you can uh, always have the person with the idea, not at the keyboard. Okay. So the thing I like to say is that uh, you need to go from fighting over who has a keyboard and who gets to type to who gets to give the keyboard away and gets to think.
0: Ah. But do you then come to situations where there's always one person with a keyboard and one person not?
1: I've had those situations. Uh, even face-to-face, I've had those situations. Mm-hmm. It's something you have to be really careful of because if you get into those situations, then there's a good chance of falling back into sleepy pairing. If one person is constantly at the keyboard, at some point they are going to get an idea, even if they don't give the keyboard away. And at that point, the navigator turns back into a passenger. Mm-hmm. So you you need to make sure that you you either need to make sure that you switch regularly, or if you haven't switched, it has to be a deliberate choice because of who is in the navigator seat with the solution at that
0: time yeah and ideally you don't dictate the individual letters and uh, ampersands and you explain what what the goal is and the driver then puts that into code
1: yeah and it's i think the first the first step that we made as a team in my last job when we moved from sleepy and tried to get out of that loop of sleepy pairing was exactly what you just said. It's one person really ends up, they don't just explain the solution, they end up coding through the person at the keyboard. And at least it means that both people are involved, and at least it means most people have seen what is happening, but it also turns the driver into a zombie, because they're just blindly putting into the computer, and they're really... They're not using their thought processes as they should be when trying to come up with a solution.
0: They could be replaced by text recognition or speech yeah. speech recognition. Yeah.
1: Yes, it's uh, that, that kind of thing. And what we noticed is you need to make sure that everybody is totally active. So the navigator, they're not just telling the driver what to do. They're actually coming up with these amazing ideas, and they are explaining them to the point where the driver understands what code they need to make. And that way you can tell that the driver is understanding what you're saying because you'll see that they're, they're starting to write the code that solves the problem. And it, it is the same as what you're thinking. And at the same point, the driver at that point, if they don't understand something, They can come back to the navigator. Okay, I I don't know what I need to type now. Let's go over this again. Explain what you're thinking to me. Mm -hmm. And this can be a dangerous point. I've had a few people in the past that have said to me, well, okay, I don't know if I can explain it better. Just give me the keyboard for 30 seconds and I can just do this and then we'll go back. And you really have to stop yourself. Like, no, we're not doing that. I've got the keyboard. You're thinking Try and explain it again. How can you explain this to me differently? What questions do I need to ask in order to get the understanding that I need in order to get this into the computer?
0: Yeah. I, I imagine discipline is an issue here that like people start checking their mails in between. Is there something you do to avoid that? Or do you have like scheduled breaks or or... I know it is. It is more intense than sitting by yourself at your desk, and it yes. c- can get exhausting. And and I think you have to have to look out that it doesn't uh, it doesn't wear you out. I guess.
1: Yeah, you've got to keep an eye on your energy levels. And the big one for me personally, when I first started doing this, was my phone. In the world today, most of us are addicted to our phones. We want to know if our, do we have a notification that we need to check is, has something awesome just happened on Twitter? You know, the driver's driving right now. I can, I can just sneakily quickly check. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, then you, you instantly go back to sleepy pairing. And I tried a few different things to try and solve this problem. The first one that I did is just simply put my phone screen down on the table, because if I can't see the screen, I can't see notifications. (laughs) That doesn't work because you just pick it up and check it. Yeah. And the desk next to us was empty. So I actually put my phone on the desk next to me. And I noticed that what I was doing was actually leaning over and stretching to pick up the phone and then stretching to put it back again, (laughs) which is great for your exercise. It's not so great for your concentration. And eventually what I did was my desk was opposite to where I was pairing at the time. And I very carefully, because modern smartphones are glass, it's not an old Nokia, uh, but I very gently tossed my phone onto my desk and then it was out of reach. The only way to get to it was stand up and walk around the desk. And I'm not going to do that. And it felt awful it felt really bad to do this because I'm addicted to my phone like many people but over time you get used to it and you kind of it allows you to get into the work a lot better and at the point where you feel your energy levels ebbing at that point you can both decide okay we're going to take a quick coffee break water break I'm just going to check my phone build your energy levels back up before you come back and try again And we've noticed with mob programming at my current job that that happens even more. It's when you're on a call with five people and you're spending eight hours in a video chat, basically. Mm. That can get very tiring. And some people find it more tiring than others. And one of the things that we've had in our retrospectives that's come out of it is we need the awareness and the self-confidence to actually make that call. As a person, if I'm sitting here and I know I'm zoning out, looking at the screen, then I need to tell the rest of the team I'm going out for 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and if you're in a pair, then you just need a break. And if you're in a mob, then the rest can continue without you or the rest might also then check their own energy levels and go, yeah, this, this is a good idea. We'll, we'll take 10 minutes. We'll come back. And it might be that people say, okay, I... I can't do this anymore today. We've had people that for the last hour, they just need to go and do something else. They need to do research. They need to just write something with headphones on just to get their head back into the right space for themselves. But these are all individual things. Different people need different types of breaks. And the team has to be able to cope when this happens. It takes a lot of effort. This isn't easy.
0: And when your code is finished, say you've you've completed a, a, a feature together with somebody and you're creating the pull request, do you still have that reviewed from someone outside of the group?
1: That's not what I've done so far, with the possible exception of at the moment we're writing models and we want the person who with the most knowledge about the models to take A look at it as well but for the for normal code at the point where we've written it in a mob we've had three four people looking at it in a pair you've got the two people Mm -hmm. and it's with a lot better understanding of what we're doing at the same time so we've actually noticed that our code quality is improved by doing this and doing the reviews on the fly it does take a lot of discipline to do this right when we, when we make a commit, we try and make very small pull requests. But when we make the commit for the pull request, it's not just a case of, okay, we're done, make the commit, and it's over. We review the code as a pair, as a mob, and make sure that what we are committing is really what we intended to. Mm-hmm. So it's at that point, we have a review, but it's a collective review. It's not throwing it over the wall to somebody else.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's always good to, like, like you're working in in files and switching files all the time. And at the end, when you create your pull request to, even for yourself, just look at all the code and then you see some obvious things like, oh, I wanted to uh, uncomment this or something like that. Yeah, so so you, you do... You do that explicitly. You look at the code, but just not within the context of an open PR that you assign to someone.
1: Yeah. And um, for myself, I can't speak for other people here, but for myself, at the point where we do this, even if we've done that shared review, at the point where I open a pull request or approve a pull request, I will always do a quick once-over to make sure that what's in there is what I'm expecting to be in there. Even if I've just done it in a commit, I still want to make sure that what's come through is really what we expect. Yeah. Uh, But the advantage is that we don't have to context switch while we do it. And you don't have to spend hours doing a pull request when you can do it in five minutes.
0: Hmm. That's right. Well, there's also time that you then save. Uh, you mentioned that it takes takes longer, but uh, if you save on pull requests or, or pull request viewing, it takes a finite amount, amount of time. So you you save on that too.
1: Yeah. And we, in one of my older teams, we have pull requests that took days to do sometimes because everybody's busy. Everybody's working on their own chunk. You make a pull request and somebody's got to have time to look at it. hmm So that can wait for a couple of hours. Somebody looks at it, they come out of their flow. So you're context switching for them. They have a comment or they spot something. So then they throw it back to you and you've either got to then context switch back to what you were doing two hours ago. Or again, you've got to wait for your own natural break before you go back to it. You answer those comments, you make changes if you need to make changes, and then you throw it back over to the wall to the reviewer and is this thing ping pongs every time you ping pong it's a context switch if you're in the middle of something really deep and you get a ping and takes you out of that zone you can waste 20 minutes half an hour trying to get back into the zone afterwards
0: yep so i'm going to link to your blog post uh is there anything else where you where you could point our listeners to to find out more on this this topic, uh, maybe places where you get inspired uh, on this information or something else you've written down.
1: Um, I would really recommend that people look at the four links at the end of the blog post. Mm-hmm. I found a lot of benefit in reading these things, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, Woody Zell, Woody Zool? I don't know how you pronounce. I have his not met name. him. I'm really sorry, Woody. Uh, but he has uh, amazing insights here, too. So look him up, follow him on Twitter. And, yeah, I, I try and get my insights that way.
0: Okay. Was he one of the authors of those articles? or uh, I don't think it
1: was the author of one of those articles because Woody is more mob programming than pairing. Okay. But there's a lot of stuff that I have gained from following and reading about more programming that you can also put into pairing
0: okay but i will link to to him then yeah okay in the show notes thank you very thank you. much well thank you stacy for being my guest today that was really interesting and a, a bit different from the usual tech-centered podcast content and i enjoy doing this in those episodes too
1: thank you very much for having me it's been fun
0: this has been another episode of dev talk and we'll see each other again in two weeks bye bye